Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. Luke chapter 7, we're going to look there in just a moment, but before we do, I want to show you a picture of our family. See if you can notice something that seems to be a little bit different. So as you know, you have a picture of Katie and you have a picture of Riley, but there is a little, little boy's head right between the two. And, uh, and the short version is we are in the process, by God's grace, of adopting a seven-year-old little boy. Uh, we're very, very excited for this opportunity. And uh, we've chosen, Sarah and I want to walk through this, walk this journey with you guys um, because many of you for years have walked this multiple times and uh, we know that nothing is final until it's final. And so uh, he has to live with us for six months, of course, and then the adoption can take place. But we're very, very optimistic. We're thankful for this little boy. And uh, so we won't have his pictures on social media or anything like that, but uh, he's visiting his grandma today and he'll be back with us this afternoon. And of course, most Sundays you can meet him. I'm excited uh, for you to meet him. But really the the longer version of how this took place is about four years ago, right when we were coming to Bible Center, Sarah had told Michelle Thompson uh, that we one day would love to adopt a little boy. She said that we have an extra room at our house. We had talked about adopting when we lived in Louisville. We put that on hold to come here. And uh, really, I haven't thought much about it until uh, a few days after Trunk or Treat, Michelle, she uh, catches me going out the front door and she says, do you have a minute to talk about something? And I'm like, maybe she wants to talk about the Maker Center or talk about you know, something easy, like, hey, what are you having for lunch? Uh, but she said, hey, just real quick, um, were you guys serious about wanting to adopt a little boy? And I looked right at Michelle. You're going to have to forgive your pastor for a moment, okay? I looked right at her in a moment of pure sanctification. I said these exact words, I hate you. I hate you. I said, I love my life. My life is good. My life is easy. Uh, Why would you ask me that? And so right away, I jumped in the car with John and I said, you're never going to believe what she just said and and told John about it. And and so I didn't tell Sarah right away because we were going to go away for a few days. A close friend had opened up his home down in South Carolina for us to spend a few days down there. And so We'd gone down there together, and I was waiting for the right moment, right? We've been married 20 years, so it wasn't like the moment to pop the question, but it was the moment to bring up this possibility. And so we're walking on the beach, and the birds are chirping, and the waves are crashing. And and I said, sweetheart, I've got something to tell you. I said, Michelle said there's a possibility that we could adopt a seven-year-old boy. What do you think? And I didn't know what she would say, but before I could even finish the sentence, she says, yes and when, let's do it, let's do it. And so I showed her pictures, and uh, this young man has been adopted and raised by his great-grandmother, who's 85, a godly woman, a woman who really, really loves Jesus, but he's been praying for a mommy and a daddy, and she's been praying for him for a mommy and a daddy. And so again, these things are never final until they're final, but some of his family is connected uh, to our church. Some of them are in the seats this morning. And a few of you have asked me, hey, why have I seen you at such and such a place with a little boy? (laughs) That's the reason. So now you know. Please pray for us. Uh, Our life has been turned in some ways upside down. You know me. I like everything nice and neat. I have my schedule. I like my house neat. That's gone. That, that, That is gone. Um, but we love it, and he, we just went hiking this weekend together. Um, we're doing things I never thought we would do again, reading stories before bed, playing Legos, stepping on Legos, all those kinds of things, um, but I'm very, very thankful. He's got a hold of our hearts, 
And uh, we want to walk this journey with you. So if you see him here next Sunday, introduce yourself to him. He's having a blast. He calls me uh, the priest of Bible Center. So um, you didn't know you had a priest, but you do now. Let's go ahead and jump into our, our series. I'm excited to begin our new series called Authentic, The Marks of a Disciple. Our mission here at Bible Center is to glorify God by producing more maturing followers of Jesus. But what does that mean for us as individuals? What does an authentic Jesus follower look like? What do we become once we decide to follow Jesus? Our executive team got away this summer and we went through the New Testament and looked at all the passages where Jesus defines discipleship. And he uses different words and different phrasing, but basically we've taken all those passages and summarized them into three categories. We believe that Jesus teaches a true, authentic disciple loves God, loves each other, and loves their neighbors. If we're an authentic disciple, we'll love God, love each other, and love our neighbors. Now, if you're a note taker, you might want to write these two words somewhere in the margin. One is the word characteristically, and the other one is progressively. Characteristically and progressively. In other words, these things are characteristically true of all Christians. It's not that we do them perfectly, but if you would say, hey, someone who follows Jesus characteristically should love the Lord. But they're also progressive words. We do these things progressively. In other words, by God's grace, I hope to love God more next year than I do this year. I hope to love others more next year than I do this year. So both characteristically and progressively. In today's sermon, the first invitation of the three is to love God. We know that Jesus said that is the greatest commandment. You remember? To love the Lord thy God with all thy what? Heart and soul and mind and strength. Jesus was quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says it, it recorded in Matthew 22 and in Luke or Mark chapter 12. But here's a few questions for you as we get started. It's a new year, so do we love God more this year than we did last year? Why or why not? Do we love God more this year than we did last year? Why or why not? Number two, if our friends and family were to list, to describe three words that characterize us, would they say that we love God? If our closest friends, and I'm thinking about this for my own daughters, if they were going to say, describe their dad in three sentences or three words, would they say that their dad is known for loving God? That's a humbling thought. Or maybe not even just loving God. What about just love in general? I realized this morning I'm preaching to several different kinds of people. One, I'm, I'm preaching to a group of people perhaps, or maybe there's someone here, and, and you um, admittedly are not sure you love God. Maybe a friend invited you to church, and you're just still trying to figure out this whole God thing. Is the Bible true? I want you to know you're always welcome here at Bible Center. I'm thankful for your honesty, and I'm thankful for your transparency. Just showing up, being here, opening yourself up, that takes guts, and you're always welcome here. I hope that we can dialogue about these things. But my prayer for you is that something I say this morning will help you fall in love with the God of the Bible, because I believe He's worth falling in love with. 
maybe you're here today and you think you love God. You walked in this morning and you're confident. When you saw this title on the sermon, maybe on the, the bulletin or in the email that many of our members receive, you thought to yourself, oh, I love God. You weren't even sure if you're going to come this morning because you've got this one down, right? You love God. Well, my prayer for you is that something that is said this morning might challenge your thinking. And maybe you'll see, as I have done this week, that maybe you love your religion more than you love Jesus. Or maybe you'll see where you love yourself and your idea of Jesus more than you love Jesus. And so maybe you fall into that category as I have this week. But most of us probably fall in the category of this third group, and that is we love the Lord, but we know we could love Him more, right? We, we love the Lord, but we also have mortgages and taxes, and we have children, and some of us got puppies for Christmas, and we're getting up three and four times a night to let the stupid, I mean, the puppy out three or four times, and, and, and we're just trying to like survive, and so maybe you're in that category, and life is crazy, and life is busy for you, and I get that. I hope that something I say to you today helps you take a step into loving God more, to becoming more of a Jesus lover. I'm convinced this message is important for three reasons. One, somebody's salvation may depend on it. Number two, our satisfaction depends on it. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him, John Piper says. But number three, our strategy as a church depends on it. We do not want to just be a church that's like a machine, that everything is systematized, everything is boxes and checks, and we do everything perfect with excellence without heart. We want to be a church that loves God. And so I believe what I'm preaching today may be the most important message of the year at least the most important message of the year so far. Let's love the Lord. Will you stand with me? The sermon moves quickly. Luke chapter 7, will you stand out of respect for the Bible? I'll read our passage as we try to envision this story. Luke seven thirty six. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Jesus continued, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the, the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he toward, turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I underline the word see. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. 
But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Our Father, as we open your word and share, I pray that you would give us all eyes to see, spiritual eyes to see, spiritual truth. In Jesus' name, amen. In the true story that we just read, Luke tells about two kinds of people. Now, this was a famous way for Luke to teach. He loved to use compare and contrast. And so throughout the book of Luke, he compares one person with another person to show us how we should live, how we should think. The first group that we're going to look at today are fake God lovers. Fake God lovers. The representative for this group is a religious leader, a Pharisee named Simon. It's not the same person as Simon Peter, the fisherman, but he's a member of the spiritual elite of Israel called the Pharisees. Simon invites Jesus into his home for cross-examination. There is no indication that Simon is even curious or even cares about Jesus. You see, Jesus was a threat to his religious system. Jesus was a threat to his job. But Simon was keeping his friends close and his enemies closer. This wasn't just a casual meal, like let's grab burgers, right? This was on purpose. It was a formal dinner, somewhat like an interview. It was invitation only. It was upper crust. It was creme de la creme. And using Simon as an example, Luke reminds us what it looks like to be a fake God lover. Here's how we describe fake God lovers. First of all, their hearts aren't stirred by Jesus. Their hearts are not stirred by Jesus. In the true story we just read, there's no indication that Simon's heart is moved at all. He's critical. He's fault-finding. He's bitter. He's judgmental. He's like a, a Philistine standing in front of a Monet painting, picking his nose. He has no idea of the beauty that is before him, right? This is Jesus Christ. So his heart wasn't stirred. Now, should his heart have been stirred? Absolutely. He knew the Bible. He probably had the first five books of the Bible memorized, as did most Jewish leaders in that day. He knew the writings of Moses. He could give you the description and the prophecies about the Messiah. He should have known that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. But his eyes were scaled closed with spiritual darkness. He was distant. He was harsh with Jesus and with the woman in the house. Picture him as he sees this woman. How did this prostitute get into my house? Who let the riffraff in? And as he's describing, as Luke describes this woman, you can hear the words of Jesus echoed from the Sermon on the Mount. Think about what Jesus said and how it will apply to Simon. He says in Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say unto me of that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. 
their hearts are not stirred by Jesus. Secondly, their wallets are not open for Jesus. Their wallets are not open for Jesus. At a formal meal like this, it was customary for the host to provide the guests with oil to wash their hands, to wash their faces, and to wash their heads. Now, when we read some of the parables like this, it may be difficult for us to comprehend or compare it to our culture, right? Like, if I go to your house for dinner, you're probably not going to give me like a little bit of oil. At least, you're probably not going to do that. Um, but the, the reason they did it back then was because they didn't have bath and body works, right? This was their version. Like at my house, I live with three women, and it's like Bath and Body Works has thrown up in all of our bathrooms. But they didn't have that back then, and so it was customary to greet your guests at a formal dinner with some spices or some perfume to, to kind of help the aroma and to help you feel clean. But this man did none of that. He just simply let Jesus show up, bypass the customs, and refuse to sacrifice anything for Jesus. It reminds us of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6. Again, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I used to teach that you should wait until your heart is moved to give to others in need or to give to the Lord or even to give through the church, however the Lord directs you to give. I used to say, just wait until your heart is moved and then you can give. But that's not what Jesus taught. Jesus actually teaches that we give and then our hearts follow our giving. He says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Simon was absorbed with himself. This wasn't the, a matter of financial hardship. The Lord knows there's some of you right now going through intense hardship. This isn't financial hardship. This is, he has the resources, but he refuses to open up anything to Jesus. Their wallets aren't open for Jesus. Thirdly, their pride isn't sacrificed for Jesus. How can we describe fake God lovers? Their pride isn't sacrificed for Jesus. Although Simon invited Jesus to his home, he neglected the common courtesy of providing a water, a bowl of water, and a towel for Jesus' dirty feet. He also neglected to greet Jesus with the customary kiss of the day because, you see, he was there to examine Jesus, not to get to know Jesus. In modern terms, we could say it this way, nobody opened the door for Jesus. Nobody took his coat. Nobody shook his hand. Simon treats Jesus like an unwanted step-uncle. Count Dracula had better manners than this guy. He was not going to humble himself, and he wouldn't even have his servants humble themselves. Their pride isn't sacrificed for Jesus. Finally, we see they aren't aware of how much they've sinned against Jesus. They aren't aware of how much they've sinned against Jesus. When you think about Simon's attitude based upon what we just read, in the 18 years that I've been in ministry, in almost every church where I've served, there's a two or three or a handful of folks who kind of fit this category. I hope that's not any of us. But there's this attitude that Simon had. He was quick to point out the faults of others, quick to point out this woman's sin, but he couldn't see his own. 
He was quick to accuse Jesus of his inadequacies. He says, if you were a real prophet, you would do this or you would do that. But he had no recollection or understanding of the depths of his own sin. Luke is my favorite gospel writer right now. And it has been now for several years, probably because I've studied the gospel of Luke the most. But I love, Luke is constantly taking shots at the religious elite. People who think they've got it all together and refuse to admit their own sin. That's why Luke records Jesus in Luke chapter 5 and verse 32, when Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke 19.10, Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I'll ask you today, do you know, I mean, do you know that you have sinned against Jesus? And I don't just mean like 40 years ago. You did this thing like 40 years ago. You ever heard people like, when people get up and give a testimony, like, yeah, 40 years ago I committed this sin. You're like, okay, that's good. But like, you probably sinned this morning, right? Like, that's the nature. We, we, we're in a sinful state, the book of Romans says, until one day when God makes all things new. And so sin, unfortunately, is a regular occurrence in all of our hearts, no matter how much we want to fight it. But let's just use what we typically use to, to prove our sinfulness, the Ten Commandments. Think about the Ten Commandments. How many of the Ten Commandments have you broken? I'll give you the first two. Let's just say you've never put an idol before the Lord, right? Let's not even go down that road. Let's say you've kept the first two. Most of us haven't, but let's say you have. Um, what about your parents? Have you ever dishonored your parents? I mean, have you ever caused them grief? One of the commandments is, honor thy father and thy mother. One of the commandments is, thou shalt not kill. But Jesus said, remember, if you hate, it's just as if you've murdered. So have you ever hated anybody? And Jesus said, don't commit adultery. Have you ever committed adultery? Well, Jesus said, if you've lusted in your heart, after another person, it's as if you've committed adultery in your heart. What about lying? Have you ever told a big lie? What about a small white lie? Have you ever coveted something that somebody else had? Even, let's just say, you pass all 10 of those commandment questions, tests. What about the other commands that God tells us to do? Think about this. Have you kept this perfectly? 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do what? All to the glory of God. Have you done all to the glory of God this week? Now, eventually I'm going to stop talking about my puppy because I really do love my puppy. But at 2 a.m. and 3.30 and 5 a.m. and 6.30, when he decides he needs to go potty for the 30,000th time, it's hard to do that for the glory of God. It just is. I'm just saying, if you've ever done anything not for the glory of God, you're a sinner. This week, you are a sinner. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. James 4.17, If anyone knows to do good and doesn't do it, to them it is sin. One of the keys to the Reformation was that Martin Luther, of his 95 theses that he, he pinned to the door at Wittenberg, the first one said that Christians should be daily marked by repentance. 
In other words, every day we're looking for ways that we can repent of our sin and ask the Lord to make us more like Jesus today. If it has been days, if it has been weeks, months, or years since you've confessed your sin to Christ, I urge you, stop being a fake God lover and recognize your need for daily grace. Because that's what disciples do. So number one, fake God lovers. Number two, the second and last category are authentic God lovers. We'll see authentic God lovers. At some point during the meal, a sinful woman makes her way to the place directly behind Jesus. We don't know what her sin was, but it's, we know she was a sinful woman. Perhaps she had heard Jesus speak. Maybe she had heard John the Baptist speak. Luke apparently doesn't think we need to know her name, and we don't need to know her sin. We just need to know that she came to Jesus. Simon's name isn't here, but hers isn't. She's a common woman. When Simon saw her, though, he didn't see her as a woman. He saw her as a theological category. That's something we've got to be careful about as Christians, seeing people as a theological category. Well, that person is X. We just throw him in that bucket. That's what Simon was doing. Well, Simon, you see, was different than her. He was looked up to, but she was looked down on. He was a church leader, but she was a street walker. He made a living promoting standards. She made a living breaking standards. But this woman wanted Jesus. How can we describe authentic God lovers? Well, first of all, their hearts are stirred by Jesus. Their hearts are stirred by Jesus. In contrast to the fake God lovers, Luke tells us that she knelt at his feet weeping. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases verse 44 in the message. He says that she rained tears down on his feet. She shows us what it means to worship. In his book on discipleship, Bill Clem writes this, Worship is not something we can program. It's a grace-filled response to a divine encounter. Worship is responding to God for who He is, what He has done, and what He is doing. For an image bearer to worship, it means to mirror back to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who they are and gratitude for what all three have done. Let's get really practical for a minute. When is the last time you opened up the Bible and experienced God speaking to your heart? How long has it been? Or maybe I should say these days, when's the last time you turned on your Bible and experienced God speaking to your heart? John chapter 8 and verse 31, Jesus says, genuine disciples, authentic disciples, cling to His Word. Are there going to be days and even weeks where we experience dry seasons? Sure there will. But I want to challenge you, get into God's Word this year. Read even a few chapters a day and let the Lord speak to your heart. How long has it been since you just spent time with Jesus? Maybe in prayer. Maybe sharing your burdens, sharing your fears. This was a big emphasis for Luke. You see, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus shared the story of Mary and Martha. What were their problems? 
What was Martha's problem? According to Luke chapter 10, if you've grown up in church, you, you've probably heard the story, and if you're new, you can check it out. Martha was so busy doing stuff that Jesus came over for a meal, and she's rushing around doing stuff, and Mary's like, look, dinner can wait. I just want to get to know him. And Jesus said that Mary chose the better thing, just getting to know Jesus. How long has it been since you just made some time to spend with the Lord? Maybe it's in your car. I know some of you are crazy busy. Maybe it's out in the woods. This past week, uh, I don't know if you know this, but this, our roof is flat here on top, and, and there's a way to, if you know the right people, to get up on the roof. And so this week, I just went up on the roof. It was like, you know, whatever it was, 90 degrees, something like that. It felt like 90 degrees. Went up on the roof and walked around and just read for about an hour and a half. It was awesome. Maybe for you, you need this week just to get out to Canal State Forest or get out to the park or go down to the boulevard and just experience God's grace to you through something common like sunshine and creation. The Bible says if we love Him, we will keep His commandments. Our hearts are stirred by Jesus. Number two, how can we describe authentic God lovers? Their wallets are open for Jesus. Their wallets are open for Jesus. Luke tells us that this dear lady brought a gift to meet Jesus. It was an alabaster jar of perfume. She just didn't sprinkle a few drops, but the text says that she, she poured out the whole bottle on him. We don't know how much it cost exactly, but most likely it was thousands of dollars. The typical bottle at this day would take you almost a year's salary of the common laborer. She poured it all out for Jesus. I'm preaching and speaking to some very, very generous people. I'm speaking to the most generous church in which I have ever served and will ever serve. You are so generous. John's going to share in a few minutes about the Christmas offering, and I'm amped for him to share the good news about what God did through you. You guys are generous. But let me encourage us all. Let's not judge our generosity just based upon whether or not we meet a goal or judge our generosity based upon are we giving as much as we gave last year. But let's, let's gauge our generosity on this. Let's let Jesus speak. Let's just let Him speak. Luke 14, verse 26. This is the word of Jesus. He says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. God calls his followers to be sacrificial in our giving. Not just through the church, but sacrificial in life. Sacrificial with our neighbors. Sacrificial with our children. Sacrificial with our grandchildren. Sacrificial with the city in which we live. He calls us to be people noteworthy in our generosity. Their wallets are open for Jesus. Thirdly, their pride is sacrificed for Jesus. Their pride is sacrificed for Jesus. I didn't know this until this week, but what this woman did was scandalous. Now, I knew like washing his feet seems a little bit weird, but what she did was scandalous. I found out this week that according to ancient Jewish tradition, a woman could only let down her hair in the presence of her husband. For her to let down her hair in the presence of any other man was scandalous, let alone to wash the feet of Jesus. But she didn't care what people thought of her. 
For her, Jesus was the only person in that room. This morning at our 9 a.m. service, we had Kenny Smith sitting right down here on the front row. Some of you know Kenny. Uh, his dad, Robert, and his mom, Jane, uh, Jane or Amelia Smith, been a members at Bible Center for many, many years. Kenny, I believe, is in his 30s. Um, he's a young man with Down syndrome. Kenny loves the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever seen, anybody ever seen Kenny worship? You've heard Kenny worship? He worships with all of his heart. It's appropriate, but he sings as loud as he can sing. He lifts his hand to sing as loud as he, as, as high as he can get it. This morning, he was wearing like a, like a gold jacket and a gold hat. And something caught my eye. I'm like, who's wearing a gold hat? I was like, oh, it's Kenny. He loves coming to church. He loves worshiping the Lord. And there are Sundays where my heart isn't as warm as it needs to be. And all I've got to do is just look over at Kenny or listening to him sing with all of his heart. And God stirs my soul because worshipers of Jesus don't, don't care about their pride. Don't care about themselves. We sacrifice our pride for Jesus. Jesus first, and then everything else. Lastly, number four, they're aware of how much they've sinned against Jesus. Genuine, authentic lovers, God lovers, are aware of how much they've sinned against Jesus. Notice how Jesus, Jesus finishes out this passage. He says, Therefore I tell you, he's talking to Simon, her sins, her many sins, have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven, little loves little. But Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this even that forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She was aware of what her sin cost. She was aware of how much sin Jesus had to forgive her of. She reminds me of the man in Luke 18. In Luke 18, Jesus does another one of these compare, contrast things. And he talks about the publican who goes into the temple to pray. And he talks about the Pharisee. And the Pharisee made this loud, bold prayer so that everybody could see him. But the publican could hardly lift his eyes toward heaven. And all he said was, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. She was very aware of how much she needed to be forgiven. You say, Pastor Matt, what about those of us who were saved as children? Maybe you put your faith in Jesus as a child. You're like, does that mean I can only love God a little bit? No, there's two things about that. One, as a guy who became a Christian as a child, one, we've committed a whole lot of sin even since we were children. If you're like me, you have, and that sin is still forgiven. And so if you're looking for ways to think about all God has forgiven you of, don't just think about the sins before you put your faith in Christ, but think about the sins even since you put your faith in Christ. But even with that, the weight of one sin, why do we preach on sin here at Bible Center? It's not to be oppressive and somehow domineering and some antiquated religion. The reason that we preach and teach on sin is that the, the weight of one sin would have been enough to put Jesus on the cross. And when we understand the weight of one sin, the glory of the cross becomes infinitely greater. It's like, wait a minute, Jesus didn't just save me from a little bit. He saved me from an eternity of lostness. That's why we needed a cross. 
It all comes down to this. Here's today's big idea. We'll love Him more when He believes He lo- when we believe He loves us most. We'll love Him more when we believe He loves us most. About a thousand years ago, Bernard of Clairvaux wrote this. Love is an affection of the soul, not a contract. It cannot rise from mere agreement, nor is it so gained. It is spontaneous in its origin and impulse, and true love is its own satisfaction. We'll look at this one last verse, 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10. John writes this, This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son. Let's get that on the screen if we can, please. 1 John 4, 9. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We love because He first loved us. We'll love Him more when we believe He loves us most. I want to show you a picture today of of, uh, the one and only leper colony in the United States. It's just south of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It operated for over 100 years, and that was the only place, to my knowledge, in the United States that exclusively treated those with leprosy. If you're unfamiliar with leprosy, today we call it Hansen's disease. But this particular disease was notorious for affecting the skin, the mucous membranes, the nerves. It causes discoloration and lumps on the skin. In severe cases, it causes disfigurement and deformities. In the book that I recommended to you in your outline, the book tells the story. Brennan Manning tells the story of a 37-year-old woman named Yolanda. Yolanda was a beautiful woman, long brown hair, beautiful brown eyes, just a face that you'll remember, but Yolanda contracted leprosy. And while he was a chaplain at this particular place in Baton Rouge, he said that he noticed and watched Yolanda change. Her nose pressed against her face. Her mouth became severely contorted. Her fingers began to dissipate. Her husband divorced her because of the social stigma, because it was contagious. Her husband, her ex-husband, had forbidden their two teenage sons from seeing their mother. Yolanda was dying as an abandoned, forsaken woman. Brennan Manning says that he was able to anoint her with oil and pray with her regularly, praying for a healing that God never gave on this side of heaven. And he was there with her the day Yolanda died. If you've ever sat beside the bed of someone who's dying, if they know Jesus, you know there's a difference. The things that they see, the things that they engage with just seconds before they die, you just wonder, what is it that they're hearing? There's traditions throughout the church age that that says that God speaks to each saint directly. And I wouldn't put it past Him, but I don't have a verse for that. But this is what happened that day as Yolanda died. She said, she looked really happy, and Brennan Manning said, Yolanda, why are you so happy? And she said, Jesus is here, 
And he says that his father is going to take me home today. He's in the room right now. And he, of course, he thought, yeah, right. Yeah, right. This, this really isn't happening. You're probably hallucinating. He didn't say that. So he just simply said, well, what else is Jesus saying? And he said that Yolanda, line upon line, began to recite what the invisible person in the room was telling her. Listen to what she said. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one. Come away with me. See, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of the doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise. Come, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me. My dove in the field is in the field, clefts of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside. Show me your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. I wasn't in that room, but Brendan Manning says she was quoting Song of Songs, chapter 2, verses 10 through 14. As if somebody in the room was giving her that line, line upon line, just seconds before she took her last breath. I haven't died yet. I don't know what that moment's going to be like, but I do know this. We'll love God more when we catch a vision like Yolanda and believe that He loves us most. You've never been so loved. Leave today not trying to love God more, but thinking more about His love for you. And I promise you, you will love God more. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, thank you so much for this church family. And I pray that you will help us to be a people who loves God. Thank you for all you're doing and all the systems that are in place and the strategy and things that are coming together. But Lord, may love be the grease that keeps it all together and allows us to move with grace and ease and peace. Though we speak with the tongues of men and have not love, we're a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Help us to love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.